Root Simple Podcast. Low tech, home tech. Hello and welcome to the Root Simple Podcast. We're the audio companion to the Root Simple blog, where we cover gardening, home economics, and DIY living. This show is hosted by myself, Eric Knutson, and Kelly Coyne. We are the authors of The Urban Homestead and Making It, Radical Home Ec for a Post-Consumer World. In Episode 17, Kelly and I recap my experience at the National Heirloom Expo in Santa Rosa, California. Hello, Kelly. Hello, Eric. It is so hot. This is going to be a short podcast. We're in the middle of a heat wave here. It's... 8 a.m. and we're podcasting, which is not the best in terms of my brain cells, but it's we've got to do it because in approximately 15 minutes, it'll be 90 degrees in our house. It's miserable. It's and you're the, not wearing pants. I'm not wearing pants. No, I've decided I'm not wearing pants anymore. It is that hot. Yeah. I. You know, we've never done the blog post where we excuse ourselves for not doing a blog post. We have a kind of a rule about that one, but I think this podcast is actually going to be a bit short because I also had the beginnings of my dental implant yesterday, and I'm not in the mood for talking at length. Eric has a hole in his head, and he's on Vicodin. Yeah, there's a lot of Vicodin. I considered doing a Kickstarter for my dental implant on the blog where you could donate and you'd get like a t-shirt and maybe be able to see a live stream of it happening. Yeah. Oh, well, Not that didn't the best happen. best idea, no. Well, moving on. Mm, I, I attended the National Heirloom Expo in Santa Rosa, California. Eric does that every year. How many years have you been doing that? I've done it since the Heirloom Expo's inception four years ago, and I've been to every single one at this point. You're an Heirloom Expo fanboy, would you say? Yeah, exactly. So Eric goes up with his friend Dale, who loves a convention as much as he does. They're like they're con- like convention buddies. There's actually nothing I like less than a convention, and even a good conference has to have some really, really interesting talks to draw me. But Eric's never met a convention he didn't like. He never met a vendor booth that he didn't want to spend time at. And his buddy Dale is like that. So every year they, they pack up the car and drive up to Santa Rosa to spend a week up there while I stay home with the kitties and the chickens. We were actually joined this year by our neighbor, Laura, sometimes known as Homegrown Neighbor on the blog. A cameo, a celebrity cameo appearance. So these two seedy old guys had a sexy blonde with them, which (laughs) Eric's making a face. I'm not sure if it's because I called Laura a sexy blonde or if I called him seedy and old or both. (laughs) Anyways, we all camped in Santa Rosa and it was a pleasant week as it always is. We always, we camp at a place called Spring Lake. And I think if, if you like this blog, you would really like the Heirloom Expo. And I would highly suggest, I think it, it would be worth traveling a long distance to, to come see. Again, if, Really? Yeah, absolutely. Well, what, what do they have there that makes it worth going to? The thing that I like most is that they have wall-to-wall talks by some of the leading lights in gardening, small farming, permaculture, All the things, again, that people who like Root Simple would also like. What I generally do is I go to the conference or the expo and I just sit myself in the talks. There's always three or four going on all at once. And there's always something that's interesting. It used to be nine to eight o'clock 
literally the whole thing talks all that time they shortened it a little bit this year it started at 11:30 and ended around 8 every night but again so many talks so much interesting information three big halls where the talks took place plus there's a biodynamic area where there's also wall-to-wall talks there so that that's the main inter- main draw for me and it's also very inexpensive they sent us press passes. They send us press passes every year. But even if you pay to go in, I think it's something like $25 for all three days. That, that's extremely inexpensive. That's for, ridiculous. For, for a conference. I mean, how do they do that? I don't know. It's, it's run by the founders of Baker Creek Seeds. Who have mafia ties? <laughs> they don't have mafia ties. Well, they have something's Amish, going on. They have, they have Amish, Amish ties, mafia I think. ties. Anyways, they have a uh, place in Missouri and also in Petaluma, California, which is just south of Santa Rosa. And they're the people behind the expo. In addition to the conference part of it, there's also a huge and really amazing vendor hall with the kind of products, again, that that people who are fans of this blog would also empty their wallets. I have to I have to really hold on to my wallet in that vendor hall. There's a lot of good stuff in there. There's also a huge hall devoted to displays of heirloom, what can only be described as heirloom vegetable and fruit porn. Uh, squash, the there's famous, a squash the, tower. The famous squash pile, which gets Instagrammed everywhere, right? Yeah, exactly. How tall is that? I never can tell yeah, scale. It's about 15 feet of squash mm. of all different kinds. Plus, in that hall, there's table after table after table of squash and watermelon. There's a table run by the California Rare Fruit Growers, who are a really amazing group. And there's a bunch of them that are just standing around this year they had a display of apples and pears, plus a few other things. And also you can go up to them and just ask questions. And I got, I had some questions about our quince tree, which I've been having a little bit of trouble with. And I got those questions answered. I think I'll cover that on the blog, as well as some pineapple guava issues we've been having. It's, it's a great you know, that, that I always look forward to because you can just walk up to them and, and ask any question and, and instantly get, a, get an answer to it. And then there's also a livestock area, which is kind of like a county fair. And that's exciting to me because, unfortunately, our local county fair, the Los Angeles County Fair, is basically lame, 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 lame. extremely lame. Oh they, my God, they it's threw lame. out. It's like all sponsored by McDonald's. It's ridiculous. And they threw out the 4-H club, and it doesn't really. It's not really a real fair anymore. It's just a bunch of rides and deep fried foods. And so, not only is the Heirloom Expo a conference with speakers and a vendor hall, but it's also it has a county fair feeling because they have a livestock area where you can see chickens. They had a lot of rabbits this year. There were goats. Uh, there were alpacas. There were some cows, actually. And in the livestock hall, they also have talks. And you spoke, right? You spoke on a panel. Was that the first time that you've... No, this is actually this is the fourth time that I've spoken. But it's the first oh, time actually, the were... third time. I'm sorry. But weren't they more casual? No, I, every... This, basically, this year, you made a PowerPoint. Yeah, this year I, I did a PowerPoint, a very short one. Basically, every year, I've, except for one year, I've spoken on a panel about urban homesteading. 
And I think this, it's the same, it's generally the same people, actually. It's, it's Rachel Kaplan, who wrote a book called Urban Homesteading, and Trayden Heckman, who is the head of a really interesting group called Daily Acts, and he's also the board president of Transition USA. So we, the three of us had a discussion about, well, urban homesteading, again, the kind of things on our blog. I covered what we do on the blog which I, I got to brag a little bit because I think we've just passed our 2,143rd blog post, which is kind of hard to believe. So I, I spoke a little bit about that because we're primarily bloggers, writers, and now podcasters. And Rachel talked a little bit about what she does, which is was also also really interesting. She actually lives in an apartment in Petaluma and does her urban homesteading by taking on gardens around the neighborhood and, and doing a lot of interesting stuff. It's, it's a really good book that she wrote, too. People should check it out. Then Trey then talked a little bit about Daily Axe, which is a very inspiring organization that does a lot of things. They've done front yard gardens for people. They've done front yard gardens at libraries and city facilities in, in Petaluma. They've also encouraged people to do laundry to landscape gray water plans. And every year... Trey then shows us a very impressive slide showing all the properties in Petaluma that they've transformed. And it's just, it's, it's, it's really inspiring, actually. We were talking about bringing Trey then down here to Los Angeles, where we really need to do something similar to get things going. Please. You know, what Trey then does is, is, is very positive. And I often find that here in Los Angeles, we're in a kind of reactive mode, reacting to crises or stupid things that our local politicians are doing, rather than the, this proactive mode that Daily Axe is in by doing these positive transformations of spaces around the city. And I'd like to see us kind of get going with that and be proactive rather than reactive. And so it was it was a good discussion. We could have actually talked and talked and talked for hours, the three of us, because we have a lot in common. But it was a fun thing to do. And looking forward to maybe maybe doing the same discussion next year, continuing it. Um, what were your favorite talks? There were a lot of really good talks. And I'm going to recap some on the blog. One is every year the he calls himself an apiculturalist rather than a beekeeper, Mikhail Thiel. He's kind of a radical, radical apiculturalist. We've blogged about him. We've blogged about him He's in the wonderful. past. He does very, very inspiring talks that are kind of metaphysical and very hard to describe. I'm actually going to recap his talk uh, that I heard on the blog this the week. The talk where he asserts that a bee is a mammal? Yeah, he began the talk by suggesting that bees are mammals. Which is interesting. Maybe you can leave that as a cliffhanger yeah, for, the, for the blog. Think about that one. Think about that, yeah. Hint, it's a superorganism. So don't think of them as individuals. Think of them as a, as a superorganism. Then permaculturalist and rare fruit grower John Valenzuela did a really, really entertaining talk where he... He basically warned us that he was going to go over and he was the last talk in the day. And I think he went, I think it was an hour and a half or an almost two hour talk. And he just ran through hundreds of different fruit and vegetable varieties. He began actually by talking about California native food sources, 
which is interesting because this is, of course, the land of the acorn. That's how the Native Americans, that was their primary food source, acorns and fish, basically. But there were other things, too. Catalina cherries, manzanitas, toyons. He went through all of those plants, and that was really interesting. Then he went into the history of the missions. So California has this influence of, actually, it's Moorish influence from Spain. So we also have, on top of those native plants, we have a layer of what he called biblical fruits, or we could call Moorish fruits, too. So you have pomegranates and olives and figs, figs exactly. And there's a history of that. And then he, he went through just it's it's too many to recap some there's a, a lot of exotic fruit and nut trees in sometimes just existing as street trees so he went through a bunch of the palm trees here many of which produce edible fruit and then a couple of really really huge trees that i've never heard of uh that uh, yeah, perhaps i'll again i'll i'll, I'll blog about in some detail. And then you also were sure to hit the vendor booths. You didn't come back with a lot of stuff this year, but did you have any favorite vendors? I restrained myself this year, but I always enjoy, of course, stopping by the, there's a, there's a vendor who sells Frankie seeds, which is our favorite vegetable seed. Frankie is an Italian company founded in 1792, I think, and still owned by the family mostly, well, there are mostly heirloom varieties of vegetables. We've had a lot of good luck with them. They're large seed packages. There's a lot of seeds in them. I mean, I should say we have good luck with them, I think, because they're Italian seeds, and so our climate here is is very similar. I don't know. Well, I they're, think, they're good actually, quality I think seeds. Be, yeah, they're good quality. They'd, they'd be good anywhere in North America. Yeah, but they do particularly well here. I came back with Frankie has a new variety of arugula with a broad leaf that I'm pretty excited about, as well as a salad, a Tuscan salad mix. We often grow their salad mixes. And then, of course, spigarello. I got a package of spigarello again, which is a kind spigarello. of... Spigarello. We've, spigarello we've is a, it, Yeah, it's kind of a primitive broccoli. It's like the broccoli without the heads. Kind of. It makes little tiny heads. You eat the leaves. It, it's delicious. It's blue-gray. It's quite pretty. It's very pretty. Yeah, it's yeah. All pretty, but also a little weedy looking, too. Yeah, it looks like a wild plant, but I really like its color. It's that nice blue color. and, um, and it and, But yeah, the leaves taste like broccoli. It's great. I vowed this year to just grow a few things in the vegetable garden, only things that you can't get at the market and that do well here and not kind of go overboard with lots of things. It's very hard not to go overboard. I might just grow those three things, actually, because those have all been successful in the past and mm. worthwhile. And again, you can't get it in the supermarket. That's a good thing about a lot of those Frankie seeds is they're very, they're delicious and uh, rare. You don't see them here. You don't see these kind of vegetables here. Okay, so we've talked about your favorite things that you've seen. Uh, what were what was the strangest thing that you saw at the conference? The strangest thing? There's, you know, it's California, and there has to be a little woo-woo. It's, it's the land of fruits and nuts. It's the land of fruits and nuts, and I'm, I, you know, I like that. I might, I like that about this place. It's, it's, um, it's outside the normal oftentimes. So there was a fair amount of strange crystal-y things and that kind of stuff. There was... There, unfortunately, there were a few what I would consider clickbait kind of 
health snake oil purveyors. There was a little bit of that. And what do you mean by clickbait? There were a few speakers whose, let's just say their their internet output is all about gathering hits and maybe so leave it like, at that. like 10 ways to liven up your love life, you know, six things that are killing you, like that kind of that stuff? kind of, but with a, with a health with a slight, you know, supplement. Let's just say, let's just lay it out. Six supplement su- salesmen and things like that. There you go for it. Supplement salesmen. Yeah. The, so what su- was weird about them? Well, I don't know. That, it, there wasn't a lot of that, but I think some, maybe a little more curating of that, i.e. <laughs> not having some of those people would, would add to the credibility of the, of the um, talks. The one of the first years they had a few more people from UC Davis. They had a little more science-based stuff. They had Paul Vossen, who's a kind of fruit tree expert, who's a superb speaker. I kind of wish they had had him instead of some of the snake oily people. There, I mean, again, there was. I don't want to be overly critical. There wasn't a lot of that. There was just a little bit of that, of that and it, it tainted somewhat the the, the talks. Mm. But it was easy, you know, if, if when you go, I recommend you really look at the, the speaker layout and mark down what you're going to see and maybe go to some of the more, <laughs> shall we say, credible speakers. They had a lot of actually, this year they had a lot of some of the, the leading lights of Northern California permaculture, including Toby Hemingway and a few others. Speaking of Toby Hemingway, I think that might have been one of my favorite talks, too, which was he did a uh, talk, the theme of which was the drought. He actually called it the joy of drought. Really? Yeah, and, and he said when he does that presentation in Central California, where a lot of people are, are losing a lot of money in their, their jobs because of the drought, he doesn't call it that mm. because... That would, you know, would be a little too provocative. But he meant that in the sense that, in the permacultural sense, in which in every challenge there is an opportunity. And so he did a he did a talk uh, that went over what he called the eightfold path of water of water conservation or water consciousness, I guess you would say. And it inspired me to really rethink our water situation in our house. We've done it. You know, yeah, Kelly's been waiting for this for a while. I've, yeah, for, ever since reading Gary Paul Nabhan's book, or Nab, I, I'm sorry. Gary Paul Nabhan. Is it Nabhan? I don't want to mispronounce his name. But ever since I read his, his most recent book, I've been saying we need to make some changes here. And now Hemingway talked Eric into going you know, to changing. So this is good. And we can get going on this. Well, we really, it's really kind of, First of all, there's some unfinished projects, and then there's some repairs to do around here. Mm-hmm. But maybe I'll, I'll run through those eight things that, that Hemingway mentioned. One was organic matter, because, of course, the more organic matter that you have in your soil, the more that soil holds water. So he mentioned that humus holds three times its weight in water, for instance. And we've done a little bit of organic matter. We've done we've quite done, a bit. We've done over quite the years. a bit over you know, the years. I have no shame with our supplementing. We we, we have mulched and mulched and mulched. Well, hang on though. Where's mulching mulch. is compost. Yeah, We're we talking need more, here about compost. We need more compost. But is he talking about working the compost into the soil no, or just he, putting it on top? Wisely, he's also in the no till camp. Of course. But you can add compost to, you can top dress and, and work it in a little bit into the top of the soil. 
and we're overdue for that. We've done that in the past, but I think we need to do it again. Where the fruit mm-hmm. trees are, where some of the perennials are, uh, w- we need to do that uh, again. So we're overdue for that. He mentioned mulch, as you just said, and we're also overdue for a, probably for a mulch application in some areas. We we did a large we did one, a large one last year. Last year, our arborist came and dropped off a load about the size of a small house. Yeah, that we had to carry up the stairs. Again, mulch is <laughs> is uh, it breaks down. I should back up and if if you don't know, of course, California is in a really scary drought right now. So that's what that's what inspired this, of course. But okay, but. Right. Mulch was one thing. Well, the, not that mulch and compost are a bad idea anywhere, no matter how much rain you get. Right. right. The third thing you mentioned was contours, by which he meant things like mulch basins having a raised path and a lower area of growing around that. So water flows off of the sidewalk and into where you want it to go. He mentioned curb cuts, which is something I've always wanted to do. And this is where you cut the curb to allow water to flow into the parkway, which is that space between the sidewalk and the street. I've been meaning to pick For a Sunday, years. rent a concrete saw. This is not rocket science. I was just looking at our parkway yesterday and figuring out how I could do it. It's a little tricky, actually. The sidewalk slopes downwards towards the parkway and then towards the street. So our parkway is actually considerably higher than the street is, but I, I think there's a way to do it, and it's something I'm, I'm going to get going on. So this way you capture both rainwater as it flows and your neighbors overwatering and car washing and all that. Exactly. The other thing he talked a little bit about, well, rather that inspired me, is I think I need to lower our backyard vegetable beds a bit so they're closer to level with the ground rather than above it you mean are we going to dig them in not a little just maybe lower them a little bit. they're not too high right now really i mean they're yeah they're they're soil is probably maybe eight inches above ground level it's something to think about i'm not sure i mean i've I've heard that i mean in in these kinds of climates you're supposed to be growing in pits essentially well no not exactly in pits in you know somewhere where it's really wet like portland you, you often want to raise, raise things. Somewhere yeah. in a Mediterranean climate like we're in, you generally want to grow things at ground level if possible. You want to sink things in places like New Mexico where you have summer rains, where you can gather the rain that way. The problem with sinking things in our climate is that we often will have a lot of rain all at once, and then you have things get kind of drowned if you have a sunken bed uh. here. But... Nevertheless, raised things in our our climate is generally not a good idea. But we also have heavy metal. So, at any rate, it's complicated. Skunks and this, yeah, it's complicated. Well, it's something to think about. I'm not sure exactly what I'm going to do with that. Then you mentioned swales. We have a hillside here, and we have done some work in the past of building retaining walls on the slope to retain some water. I need to revisit that, maybe fix some of those retaining walls. Some of them are are kind of falling apart. I need to work on that. Maybe address the contours a little bit. It's tricky. Our front yard also, we don't want a huge amount of water retained on it because the house would slide down the hill. So it's it's a tricky one. But I'm going to look at it and, and figure out ways that we can deal with it. I also, in our campground, was camping near someone we know who does 
gray water and he and i sergio actually if you're out there sergio and listening it was good to talk to you i had talked to him about getting our shower water out somewhere useful and i i think i figured out a way i can do that and i might actually hire sergio to help me it's always good to hire people we're learning this more and more you know it helps it helps get things done there was also discussion of hugel culture, which is bearing uh, wood into pits and, or rather into mounds. That's and then something. you plant you plant on the mound full of sticks and logs, eventually, essentially, and it's supposed to create a really nice growing environment. It's kind of like all the thing in the permacultural circles these days. It's like the new herb spiral. The jury's still out, though, as to whether it works in a dry climate. I know there's, there's people on both sides of that issue, and I'm just not sure at this point. We just don't it. really have a place. Well, actually, Where could we do a hugelkultur pile if we wanted to? I well, mean, you could do one at grade in the pit beneath the vegetable garden, which is something I've thought about. And we do have a lot of logs oh. around. Oh, at any rate, mm. it, the, the, the... Why don't we just do a big Google culture down in our parkway since everything's failing down there well, anyway? Well, we don't want to... <laughs> you don't want to mound stuff there. That's the thing. It just, it just wouldn't be... It would prevent people from opening their car doors. <laughs> I can imagine this giant, giant mound with odd things growing out the top of it. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. But moving on uh, in the talk, the fourth thing you mentioned was planting densely and in layers and guilds, which is a per- permaculture thing. I'm not sure I'm down with planting things densely in a dry climate. Sometimes I, Steve I, Solomon mentions having some separation for water efficiency. Hmm. I might depend on what you're growing, I would say. It's probably contextual. I mean, I know in my perennial beds that denseness has been really helping during this heat stress. Uh, my My beds aren't doing as poorly as I would think they would be doing. And I'm not soaking them with water by any means, but my, my perennial beds are very dense. I, I kind of let them go on purpose. Well, it leads to his next point, which was to arrange plants by how much water they need. And that's, well, kind, yeah, of a that's, no, that's kind of a no-brainer. It's kind but, of a no-brainer, but it's often a hard-learned lesson. You can go, is. well, this one's so cute here. You know, he just needs a little extra water, and then, and then it becomes the bane of your existence, this one plant that doesn't get along with the other plants. I think... But to move back to his fourth point, though, about planting things in layers and guilds, if you group things by how much water they need, and then you figure out the guild, which is, that's kind of a long, that's a, a guild is a subject worthy of a whole podcast in itself. Like permaculture. But the idea of having plants that are symbiotic and that are also useful. They're plant buddies. Plant buddies. The thing is, a lot of the permacultural information is, unfortunately, for wetter climates. So there's a lot of info about planting comfrey with fruit trees. But Yeah, like comfrey. Everybody's like, comfrey, comfrey, comfrey. But we've never been able to get comfrey to grow here, which makes people in comfrey country laugh. It needs water. Yeah, it needs water. And it just don't like it here. So, you know, we don't... The functions for which people depend on comfrey for, you know, we have to find other plants to do that. I think we have to figure out other guilds here. Yeah. And I'm not sure what they are yet. Because nobody's paid any attention. Again, to med- we're, we're kvetching about... Like, poor us here with our figs and, and our... Fruits and nuts. Our fruits and our nuts, so nobody loves us. Anyways, the, the sixth thing he mentioned was harvesting water, which we often think of as rain barrels. But of course, he, he mentioned... He's a, I should say Toby Hemingway is in uh, Sebastopol up in Northern California, which, you know... 
it's a little cooler up there, but it has a, basically the same amount of rainfall. So it's, it's, it's a, Mediterranean, a dry, climate. Mediterranean climate too. And rain barrels, as he mentioned, aren't the best solution here because we have this long gap where there's no rain at all. Rain like a nine-month gap? Yeah, nine-month gap or whatever it is. Rain <laughs> barrels work best in a place where there's periodic rain throughout the year, and we don't have that. However, he we have a rain barrel and it it does fill up real fast. And yeah, I feel like it fills up in an afternoon and then I, yeah, it's not. I mean, you can use it, but it's but then at that time everything's soaked and you don't need it for a long time. And then I don't know. Well, Toby, I, I'm not Toby, excited about rain barrels here. Toby mentioned using that rainwater for seedlings, which I thought was a nice idea because yeah. seedlings do well with rainwater. Yeah, he did mention large. Large water barrels, large, excuse me, large water tanks. Cisterns. Cisterns. I've wanted a cistern for so long. Some but ladies want BMWs and some ladies want cisterns. It'd be tough to put it. It would, it would have to occupy my man cave. Yeah, I, that's, it would have to go in our garage because our garage is the lowest point in our, on our property. So I don't know if I'm ready for that one. Oh, he also, he also mentioned cistern. fog harvesting, which is an interesting thing. We can't really do here, but We, up, we up could there, do smog harvesting. We could do smog harvesting. Maybe we can recycle gasoline out of it somehow. There are, there are places where they do fog harvesting by, by hanging up kind of large sheets and gathering the water from them. Good Lord. He, he mentioned actually just planting redwood trees up where he is. Cause sure, they're, they're fog harvesters themselves. That's exactly, what they do. Which is a nice idea. The seventh point he mentioned was reusing water, which is things like laundry to landscape. We have laundry to landscape. However, I need to fix it. It inspired me to just get going on that. And I'll have, we're going to blog about all this because I'm going to kind of start a you know, like with the government, An initiative. Has, yeah, the government has these black projects that have code names. I thought we could call it a code name. Operation Free Water. You know, Operation and blog Free Water. About all these things. Are all, we going to make a like a sexy logo for we it? We need a patch of a some patch. kind. A patch for your like flak jacket. Operation exactly. Free Water. Exactly. So the not freedom water. Maybe the yeah, not freedom. <laughs> I, I just, anything you use the word freedom for is is. A successful idea. <laughs> Anyways, laundry to landscape is something we have, but again, I need to fix. I will blog about it. There's, there's actually, I found a number of vendors there, which I'll link to, who sell kits that include all the things you need for laundry to landscape. The primary thing being a three-way valve. God and, bless the three-way valve. Don't so, do it without a three-way yeah, valve. Three-way valve's a good thing, but it's not something you can find at Home Depot. Yeah, and it's kind of like, probably, sometimes it's the most expensive thing in the system because it's a nice, like a nice brass three-way. It costs about fifty bucks. Yeah, I mean, every, but everything else is is really cheap. The but, kits also include a vacuum brake and a few other ooh. things. Yeah, <laughs> getting too detailed here. But at any rate, I'll I'll link to that in the show notes and in a blog post. And as I already mentioned, in terms of reusing, I'd, I'd like to get our shower out somewhere useful. And I think I might install a electronic three-way valve that allows you, with the flick of a switch, to, to change the water from the sewer to the landscape. And I think that In the would, shower? Yeah. Is that for when it gets just too wet? Or, or when I'm putting like nair and hair dye on? <laughs> we don't want that to go. <laughs> we don't want that to go into the garden. Yeah, and well, also, 
we don't want to overwater too and send too much water out to the front yard because again it it's a slope and our our house sits on top of it but we do have trees that we water out there and it would be a little bit like i'm taking a shower i need to water the fruit tree right now you could flick the switch and i think that would be the way to do it he also mentioned constructed wetlands which is a way of dealing with black water which is sewage and kitchen waste that's a little more the advanced. kitchen sink water is black water i don't think we'll be doing that here but he showed a very impressive slide of some work he did in a tropical location where they're basically processing all the sewage and it was it's, it's a very impressive slide his last point was simply water wisely and that's something that kelly addressed while I was gone at the conference in her post on simply reusing glasses. In other words, using the same water glass over and over again. You want to say something about that, Kelly? Oh, well, that kind of just comes on under like water conservation, which we're all, we're all doing here and, and doing, it seems more and more critical all the time because I think our drought is just never going to go away. I'm not, and I'm not um, exaggerating. I think it's a long one. But it, that's just a simple thing, and it's a no-brainer. Uh, and a lot of the readers, you know, say, "Oh, yeah, I do that." You know, or interestingly, a lot of them said that, you know, my granny did that. And and I think a lot of that goes back to you know the days before things were so convenient, and before um, you know, before dishwashers, before you could go to IKEA and get a bunch of glassware for just a couple of dollars. You know, people uh, you know, just weren't profligate with the, the amount of dishes they used during the day. So the whole point of the of the post simply was that Eric and I now have assigned glasses that we use all the time for our drinking water. We drink mostly water, and so it's not like they get dirty, you know. And it's just to keep us from grabbing a new glass every time we want to drink, and then the glasses piling up and needing washing, and that just saves water. There's just a billion little ways that you can save water, and that's one of them. But also, more importantly, saves dishes, and nobody wants to do dishes, and so it's a win-win. Anyways, uh, Toby's talk was wonderful. He's a master of PowerPoint. It was really, really well done. If you have a chance to hear him speak, you definitely should. I think his book is a better introduction to permaculture than many of the foundational texts of permaculture. It's, it's, a, it's a good... It's more readable. It's readable, and it's oriented to... Permaculture can be so... <sighs> A little abstract overwhelming and, and overwhelming. His book is also oriented to gardeners and people who own small bits of land. As that opposed to like a ranch that exactly. you're that you're transforming. Highly yeah. recommended. I also, uh, in conclusion, want to thank and, and say hello to all the wonderful Root Simple readers and listeners that I ran into that, that stopped me at the conference. Uh, hello, Dan and Pam, if you're out there listening, it was good to talk to you and to see you again. Hope to see you again soon. And I, you know, next year, perhaps we can get some Root Simple readers together. We could all camp together. It's again, it's a, it's a fun conference, a nice conference to go to the Heirloom Expo. Next week, we have booked Wendy and Mikey of Holy Scrap Hot Springs. We're going to have them on. I've always wanted to talk to them, and we'll be talking to them soon. And given that, you know, I've got this dental situation right now, I think we'll bring this podcast to a close. To leave a question for the Root Simple podcast, call us at area code 213-537-2591, or send us an email at rootsimple at gmail.com. We are Root Simple on Twitter. If you like the podcast, please leave a comment for us in the iTunes store. 
You can support the Root Simple Podcast by buying a copy of one of our books through the Amazon links on our website. Our theme music is by Dr. Frankenstein. Additional music by Roe. Thank you for listening. Thank you. Thank you.